Shard dancers and night wisps, remain transparent in your fogginess. Spook a spark from the forge's flames. And what you're going to do is you take a left when you come to the third amorphous mass of indistinct vapors. Right after the vague spatial disruption, you can't miss it. You can't miss it. You can't miss it. Because it's time to talk tall to me. Me, me, me. Welcome back, or are we? I am Omen Thomas Said. And I am Nick McGill. Or are we? <laughs> we are Feckless Moans. <laughs> and this, my sweet little godlings, is talk told to me. A mesmeric dance in the fathomless void of prog rock, in which nothingness Nick and opacity Omen will breathe in the exhalation of every musical movement that raucous rock band Jethro Tull has ever musically exhaled. We will fondle the primordial panorama of Joe Parrish, gurgle the gateway of Genesis that is David Goodyear, and we will hammer the haunted halls of Scott Hammond. And if we can pierce through the somber shades, we may encounter the primordial prog man, the serpentine Scotsman of the shattered stars, the birth-breathing behemoth of Blackpool, the tantalizing tall titan, Ian, the astral anchor, Anderson. Nick, hello, and welcome to the Duzium track off of the most fabulously recent album, Requifiata. Welcome to the EDM track off of uh, this, this fabulous solo piece from Ian Anderson. DJ Flute Boy. It's going to be a bopper. It's going to be good. Yeah. Everybody take your ecstasy and let's drop together. I took it years ago waiting for this track. Was it enough to last until now? Oh, yes. <laughs> I was medically dead for a long time. <laughs> it's taken us as a duo a little while to get into this track recording wise because I am once again unchained. I'm an unchained wolf. That's right. I have traveled to the far north of America, Buffalo, New York, the city of lights, the electric city, as they say. And uh, I'm up here rehearsing and getting ready to perform um, Shakespeare's Measure for Measure, which is a, a great bit of fun. Actually, I think we'll probably end up wrapping up this album with you in Buffalo, which is exciting. Who knows what the future may hold? Certainly not the prophets. You are a dandelion puff on the wind. There is no telling where you will go. I've been called worse. So, Nick, <laughs> speaking of being on the wind, what is the song in question about which we are so speaking this very een? We are talking about the first of the singles that came out. It is Gununga Gap. Yes. And we were very, very baffled by the pronunciation when it first came out. Gununga Gap and Rock Flute. But I think we're pretty happy with it now. But that being said, we will very much butcher a significant amount of the names, the proper nouns in the telling of, of all of these tales. So as you have come to expect from us, get out your shot glasses, get out your bingo cards. It's going to happen. Yeah. Nick, without further ado, shall we have a listen to Gununga Gap? I think that's a great idea. Let us listen to Gununga Gap. 
cap binoculars. Sweet baby Yoda, that was Ganunga Gap. That was Grogu. Yes, that that was Ganunga Gap. Goodness me, it it is mighty powerful for the first. I mean, I don't want to say like the first real song, but the intro was Ian speaking, and it started with recitation. So it's like it's it it really is an intro. Like it it kind of very gradually worked us into this album but this one that's a hell of a start for sure yeah that first song lays the ground in a way yeah veluspo lays the ground for the album it, it prepares the mind it sets the scene it introduces the first comic it tells you to put on your seatbelt and reminds you to put on your mask before helping any others and then the whole thing takes off with ganunga gap and it's it's the acceleration of this song, the power behind this song. Yeah. Zhoons. Very, very potent. Very, very powerful. And it's it starts with with the sound of a trill. The sound of a trill. The sound of a trill, even before you hear the trill come through the flute, you hear it from Ian's voice. That's beautifully and accurately stated. You hear the actual tongue. You hear That was perfect, yeah. Yeah, and it's I don't know. I mean I don't know if it was specifically for like, ooh, it, this is this is why I'm doing this this part audibly, but it's very uh, the origin of things. It from the silence comes the start of something and everything else kind of like falls into place from there. It's connected to the idea of the breath, of the breath of Ymir and the breath of the universe giving rise mm. to this primordial soup place. Yeah. I uh, I prefer the primordial soup place on the corner. Uh, I always go with the primordial salad. Just, I'm trying to watch yeah. my weight. Yeah, yeah, fewer calories, yeah. But I often do just get primordial fries if I'm, if I'm being completely honest. I'll get primordial soup and a primordial bread bowl, and it's uh, I just that's just a, a cheat day. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, you you pointed out we have the trill bringing us into that theme that takes us throughout. Mm. Beep 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 beep. Uh, we hear that throughout. Mm -hmm on top of that, following on the heels. So we have then the guitar, the bass, the drums all layering in. We'll talk about all those here in a second. I love the power in the guitar in this song. Ooh. It's delightful. Very powerful, yeah. Every time that Tull releases a new album, my fear is, oh, it's not going to have the power that I want from this. It's going to be on, you know, it's like when your favorite Italian racing car company says that they're going to go electric and you're like, but will it have the turbo force of the internal combustion engine? And then you get in your Fiat 500 Abarth electric and you realize, oh, the acceleration is all there and maybe even a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly uh, how I would. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Except when it's Jethro Tull, you don't have to replace the frickin' window after six months. Anyway. Wait, yours isn't electric, though, is it? No, I'm, I'm thinking ahead. 
I'm fantasizing. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I want to point out this beautiful riff that happens quite close to the beginning of the song. We have the whole band go dun dun, and right on the heels of that, Ian goes. I can't even replicate it. Those are 30 second notes. If you have a whole measure, you have a whole note, you divide it in half, it's a half note, you divide that in half, it's a quarter note. If you keep dividing that, you eventually end up with a 30 second note. Beyond that, it's a 64th note. But 30 second notes are real fast, no matter how slower, fast the tempo is. And that's what he's playing. And it is so clean and so, I hate to gender this, but ballsy of him to play that totally isolated because the, the rest of the band drops out when he introduces yeah. that. Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. Yeah, back when this this single first dropped, I think it was Jupson who pointed out, you can hear the keys. You can hear him pushing the keys. You can hear them clacking against the flute. Which is between that pre-flute trill and the the silence around him hearing him actually play this mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in conjunction with the sound coming from the flute. Like these are really powerful moments, and they're really these stark cutaway images of that you see something lit up in the darkness, and it's just this primal element. And it reminds us that all of these myths, all of these huge epic creations that we that we have at the end of the day come down to a human being in front of a bunch of other human beings taking a breath and then reciting this thing. And it also relates to, as Ian states in the lyrics, the wordless voice, the scream, the howl. The wordless voice, the scream, the howl. He's conjuring this sense of a mystic existence, a pre- mm -hmm storytelling impulse of just pure existifying <laughs> existence existentialism yes one of those <laughs> yeah there are moments of these cutouts where it's just the single element but then there's also the tumultuous chaotic when elements to add to the tumultuous chaos i want to if i may speak briefly about the time signature Eight, eight. Oh, yes and no. Ah. <laughs> you, can, you could count it in 8-8. Eight, eight. I counted it in 4-4. Four, four. I don't think it actually matters. But there is a measure of 3-4 dropped in there. Mm. I knew there was a little there was a little hitch in the giddy-up at some point. It's like, uh, uh, oh, yes, okay. exactly, exactly. It's suddenly, suddenly you're like, wait a minute, how did I lose my place? Because, mm -hmm. well, because there was a beat missing from that measure. Right, yeah. Delightful, classic wonderful very simple for for toll it is a a classic tool in their handbag at this point yes handbag you keep a tool in your handbag you do if you're going to a rough neighborhood that's that's true oh oh oh, oh. i want to point something out about what joe parish is is bringing to the party cheese dip yes and also some crackers mm, great and thirdly his guitar which he is playing perhaps two different guitars, but he is playing two different guitar voices. Mm. So we have the big, broad, blasty, powerful, turbocharged sound of the guitar throughout, throughout most of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, there is a second guitar voice right after, 
I identified it. It may come sooner, but I identified it in the third verse. Mother, father to them all, the bleak betrayal comes to pass as daughters, sons, bad families. We have a riff that is in a different voice on, on the guitar. Father, It almost harkens back to that 1970s sound hmm. where the guitar is a little bit more twangy, a little less, still electric, but a little less kind of rock and roll, overdrive hard. Yeah, yeah. It's gorgeous. And he just does a couple of riffs with that voice. But man, does it hit the spot. Yeah. I approve of Joe as a guitarist. So, um, Ian, you can uh, you can take him off of probation. Yeah. He's going to get his badge any day now. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He is. Because I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> great synth in here. Great bass. Great drums. Everybody is doing their part. They are really feeding into that. The tumultuosity of things. That, that chaotic. All of the elements crashing together to form this perfect production. This perfect end result. And, uh, and it works. It really does work. You know what's freaking crazy? What is? is that if you go back to the actual scientifically corroborated or scientifically imagined, I always imagine things scientifically. If you go back to the, to the dawn of life on Earth, mm -hmm. what is described, you know, what our best guess is, is that there was this extremely rich broth that included all kinds of amino acids and things. And it, there was lots of there were temperature changes. There were lots of minerals. I mean, it was this kind of fecund miasma. It is referred to as their primordial soup. Exactly, exactly. And so there's a beautiful parallel between the way that the Norse storytellers described Ganungagap and the quote-unquote reality, what our, what our scientific myth describes. And of course, you know, we weren't there, so we don't know. But the more that we confirm it, the more it seems to the more tools that we develop to confirm what it really was, the more closely it resembles this Ganunga Gapian situation. Yeah, it works on multiple levels, and that works for that that idea of myth. It, it's kind of the opposite of like a myth built around explaining something in nature, like. Ariadne being a great weaver and challenging, I think it was Athena, to a weaving contest. Yeah. And she lost, so Athena punished her by turning her into a spider and saying, you have to weave for the rest of your days. Yeah. Word to the wise, don't challenge Athena? Or uh, really any of the gods. Don't be attractive to a god. Yeah. That doesn't end well. No, 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 no. Well, not for, yeah. Yeah. Because it depends what your goal is. Nick, I want to talk about the drums. I want to talk about the little drummer boy, Scott Hammond. Okay, what about him? We have a wonderful musical break that is around 2 minutes 15, 2 minutes 30-ish there. Leading up to that, Scott Hammond is going bananas on the drums. He's just increasing in volume. He's increasing in intensity. And he's hitting the drums with his sticks very um, passionately. That's what the man is paid to do, and he does it darn well. 
and it gives this sense of, you know, you have this miasma, but it's not a calm miasma. It's not a calm, vague. It is a misty world that is dynamic AF. It is bursting with flavor. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not steady. Like bursting is a really good way to put it. It's like popping fireworks, this sound, and then it, it mellows out. And then we get this sound and then this instrument pops back up and then it kind of, everything sinks down and we get silence and then it starts all over again. I want to follow that 30 second note run throughout the song because it's a, it is just so beautiful what the composition is with it. The beginning of the song, we start off with Ian showing off his incredible fast fingers and precise tonguing. Mm. <laughs> at that break, at 2 minutes 30, he starts that again, and he's joined in by David Goodyear on the bass and Joe Parrish on the guitar, but only a little bit. So we have David Goodyear helping him to finish some of the lines. So Ian goes, and then Goodyear comes in, to finish off that line that happens once. And then the same thing happens with Joe Parrish finishing out some of those last couple of riffs within that. At the end of the song, we come back to the same riff and Ian plays it again, except this time he has doubled the flute. He must be playing it over itself. So he's playing, you know, one third or one fourth off. So it's all in harmony, that same thing. And then Joe Parrish comes in also playing on harmonies with himself. Mm -hmm. It is so mm -hmm. mind-bendingly cool. Yeah, they really constructed this well. They really did. And you get the sense of something kind of like of life, you know, kind of forming and complexifying itself out of out of this. You start with something difficult but basic and then it gets more intense and then suddenly it's got both a mouth and an anus. <laughs> well, la dee da. <laughs> oh, you're too good for us. <laughs> Single hold organisms. Did you see Harold down the street? He got an anus. <laughs> Show off. That's it. He'll never come back here again. I'm never inviting him to pukesgiving. What's he do with his waist? He puts it out? <laughs> Disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else musically, Omen? Only to say the ending is uh, firm. Firm. Taut. It's a seven on the sleep scale. Yeah supports your lumbar it's a the tiniest bit of a fade out but also a bump like we slow down we we kind of stuff mellows out mellow in the sense of this song compared to this song the rest of this song it's mellow and then we we bah, 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 bah. we gotta cut off describe to me the ending of this song nick using the mental image of dropping a fruit onto a surface. So you tell me the distance that it's dropped, the kind of fruit, and the kind of surface that it's hitting to resemble the dynamic of the ending of this song. Gotcha. I think you're dropping multiple pieces of fruit at specific times to get 
those pieces there. Bum, bum. Yeah. But I would do probably just thinking of bum, 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 bum. Yep. Cantaloupe. Okay. Honeydew. Okay. A mango, a firm mango. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah I see yeah. it. A very ripe mango. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be pretty squishy, actually. I take back the firmness of it. And then the second part, it would be a peach, mm-hmm. a ripe peach, mm-hmm. then an apricot, mm-hmm. a little firmer, and then a walnut. <laughs> yeah, gotcha on that one. I didn't think you were going to name every fruit that you knew. But I appreciate the detail that you went into with that. And I think you're right. It's spot on. I checked my notes and you are, you are in fact That's correct. That's what I have here. <laughs> so here we are halfway. We're going to talk the lyrics themselves on a practical level here. If you have the vinyl or probably the CD, if you're looking at the lyrics, the actual written out lyrics, you will see that a portion is like pink and then a portion is white. And before I read all of the preamble leading up to the lyrics, I was just looking at the lyrics in the great big book. I, I sent a message to our, uh, our, our close friend, JDA, and I said, what's going on with the, the lyrics here? Why, is, why are some pink and some white? And he says they were split between historic Nordic inspiration, that's the pink, and then the white is modern day. So every song starts with that historic inspiration, and then he moves into the modern day allegory. And wow. then from the book, when I actually read the book, it's, it's in there. It says, each set of lyrics was written in the form of a lyric poem with the first three stanzas in trochaic or iambic tetrameter to describe the settings, identities, and personalities of the different gods. The final two stanzas of songs 2 through 11 in light red type on the lyrics document. Okay, so it's the other way around. The Norse is the white, the modern is pink are a different personalized interpretation of those subjects in a more contemporary setting. So that's the poetry that is the lyrics. And just when you think that, you know, somebody just sat down and wrote a song, no, no, the actual syllabic construction is so well thought out and so organized and so intentional. Can you let me know, like, within this Gununga Gap lyrics, which bit is which? Oh, for Gununga Gap. First three verses are white, therefore the Norse. So it's the first in elemental flesh, the wordless voice, and then father, mother to them all. And then when we get to the I, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I dream mm-hmm. of spaces to the end is the modern interpretation. Wow. Wow. This man. It's great. I mean, it's crazy. I would love if what he said is true. And next year's album is his final album. Gosh, would I love a book of poetry. You know, I would love for him to keep writing in different forms. Yeah. 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 Amazing. I'm so glad that you brought that to our attention, Nick, because that is such a a beautiful key with which we can can continue to unlock this album. And actually, you know, we got a, a taste of it in the first, in the very first song. We had the Old Norse and then we had the English... So this whole album kind of parallels that thing that was set up, that dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's fascinating that the switch in this case is the first use of I. Yeah. It's description, description, description. I dream of. Yeah, this is me doing this. Yeah. Yeah, wow, wow, wow. Also bringing in some distinctly 
non-Nordic imagery like origami. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When's the last time we had a first person? Not since Adam. <laughs> he was. You're right. Good point. Good point. I got nothing else. That's that's the tidbit that I wanted. That's quite a tidbit. That's a juicy tidbit. A tidbit worthy of chewing on. Dropped like a fresh peach onto a basketball court. Bloop. Thump. Here we are after the halfway mark. Wow. I just want to read a, a little tidbit. Much like last album where Ian had the the biblical verses, he does have a little blurb before each of the songs. Blurb it to us. Blurb it here. Here we go. Genunga Gap. He starts it with Ymir, the beginning. The proto-being, primeval being, who was born from venom that dripped from the icy rivers called the Elevigar, and lived in the grassless void of Genungagap. Ymir was both male and female, precursor of all Jotnar, killed by Odin and his brothers. We kind of really did touch on a lot of this, at least the creation portion, last week. We did, we did. This story, to me smacks of Greek mythology of the Titans and the gods. Oh, there's definitely a parallel there, but what I think is unique in this Norse telling is this idea of the genderless or gender-inclusive proto-being. We talked a little bit about this previously, but the line, from void and darkness, frost and flame. From void and darkness, frost I can't overstate the importance of this imagery that there were worlds that existed before Ganungagap that essentially created Ganungagap. And one of them was a, a world of ice and the other one was a world of flame. And that in itself is already a very simplistic description of the actual thing that it is. Yeah. But it was this kind of coming together of this heat and frost, the sparks from the fire eventually forming the stars that created this swirling place. Yeah, Niflheim was ice and Muspelheim was the fire. Let's see. So the Elevigar, which is the, the river that he was born from, was one of those things that existed right. before him. It was fascinating that it was a river of venom or a, ri a river that dripped venom. Yeah, the so I think we read this portion from the, the Prose Eda last week. The streams called ice waves, those which were so long come from the fountainheads that the yeasty venom upon them had hardened like the slag that runs out of the fire. These then became ice, and when the ice halted and ceased to run, then it froze over above. But the drizzling rain that rose from the venom congealed to rime, and the rime increased frost over frost, each over the other, even into Gap, the yawning void. Very much like a winter in upstate New York. That's fairly accurate. We had a long, a late and long Gap this year. My, my school never canceled for Gap. <laughs> All the other schools were like, we've got three feet of Gap. we're canceling. But you get those, you get Ganunga Gap days off at the end of the year if you haven't used them. So it's, we I mean, it's a, we it's, didn't. oh, yeah. I thought you're supposed to do that by law. Well, hmm. Norse law. And I say that jokingly, but you remember in the really bad winters, you'd have the snow and then the snow would, you know, it's easy if you've never seen snow to imagine like, oh, it just is snow and then it melts. But <laughs> yeah. the reality is like it snows and then some of it melts and turns to slush and then the slush can 
refreeze, and that's a certain type of material. And then the slush. <laughs> it's called ice. <laughs> but it's got a different quality than, than just yeah. straight up ice, you know, water that freezes. Right. And then you also have, you know, when the snow gets mixed with salt from the roads, you get that kind of weird, crusty, yeah, brown, sludgy stuff. I mean, it's fascinating. And I think that there's something really quite metal about saying, yes, hmm. all life that we know, everything came from this venom being this being that was like oh the world is this ice is made of poison i will thrive bitch you can't kill me yeah and then create everything else it reminds me of those little worms and nematodes that they find on the seafloor that are like ooh, a delicious pool of hydrochloric acid yeah, yeah exactly a delicious pool of hydrochloric acid or like mm, a yummy volcanic vent where the water is like 600 degrees yeah yay a bit like a tardigrade too yeah I'm going to th flourish anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Including the Kanunga Gap. I like the Tardigrade as a Ymirian being. In my mind now, Ymir was totally a water bear. I like it. Adorable. Fruitful. Genderless. Genderless, yeah. Mysterious. Yeah. Some more references from Ian. The Jotnar, they are the giants. They're usually described as large and strong, what you would expect for a giant. They mostly lived in Jotunheim, one of the nine Norse worlds, and it was usually, their world was usually represented as dark, cold, and barren, and they are, like my heart, uh, and they were <laughs> considered enemies of the gods and often in conflict with them, as they are wont to be. Their relationship between them was actually more nuanced than pop culture would have you believe, as many of the gods had children with the Jotnar. Thank you, Greek mythology. Norse mythology? Also Greek, that, it, that's the comparison. That's what I'm saying is, is it's, I mean, it's the same thing with the, uh, the creation of- I understand. The, the deific entities in, in Greek mythology and by transitive properly, also Roman because they're, they're the same thing, Latin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Odin, we all know Odin. He's the great magician among the gods. He's associated with runes. He is the all-father. All-father. Talk about him next week. Yep. Outward appearance of a tall old man, flowing beard, one eye. We'll talk about it. And then his brothers are Vili and Ve. Some sources name them Honir and Lodir. So Vili, Ve, and Odin are the ones who killed Ymir. Yes, yeah, so you, you stop creating things. You can't do this anymore. We've got enough on our plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a modern tendency to try to simplify stories. Oh, sure, absolutely. And even this notion of good and evil yeah. is not necessarily relevant in such an ancient context. Certainly there were beings who had better intent and beings who had less good intent, but to be able to say the world is good and evil, that is way too simple a standpoint to talk about Norse mythology. There are nine freaking worlds and each of them are different. Yeah. The Jotterms, the Jotheimers. Jotunheim. The Jotuns. The Jotuns? Jotuns from Jotunheim, yeah. Just because they were in conflict with the gods doesn't mean that they were bad. Just because the gods were in conflict, or just because humans worshipped the gods, doesn't mean that the gods were good. Right, yeah. The gods were relevant to humanity. Yeah. And, you know, it's the same thing when you look at history. In America, we get a very two-dimensional, a very flat view of history. Oh, this happened and these people were bad, these people were good, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The reality is so much more complex and people fall in love and have children and, um, 
you know, there are economic factors. And so everything just immediately gets much more intertwined and, and complex than we'd like to think of it as. Yeah. So I think it's it's important to remember that at this early stage with this mythology. Yeah, definitely. We are looking at one moment in time. I mean, the like like the Voluspo chorus or the Volva chorus rather in Voluspo was telling us what to expect. Like you said, through that Greek chorus. But here, even though the story is pretty paralleled and similar, we're we're zooming in here to a kind of more of a specific moment, it feels like. And it's gonna keep getting more specific as we get further into the album. Yeah. And there are all these multiple pieces that lead to these moments. Yes. I love the line. I think my favorite stanza in this whole song is father, mother to them all. The bleak betrayal comes to pass as daughter's sons, bad families are cut from stone to break like glass. Father, mother to them all. The bleak betrayal comes to pass as daughter's sons, bad families are cut from stone to break like glass. I mean, wow. The bleak betrayal could refer to the killing of Ymir yeah. by Odin and his brothers, or could refer to the killing of Balder facilitated by Loki. Hmm. Or there could be other betrayals talking about. I love the inclusion of bad families. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> since the beginning of time. Exactly. And it's something that we can all relate to. I think maybe a betrayal could be something as simple as like these creatures, these people who came from my body, who I created, gave life to, they no longer worship these gods. They no longer revere us and they no longer tell our story aside from it just being like a fairy tale, you know? Yeah. It could be some, something like that. I think it works on all of those levels. Yeah. And it really is. This album so far is like, you know, being very distant from a picture that you're seeing through all these layers of mist and curtains and then slowly making your way toward it. You don't even realize that it's getting clearer as it's getting clearer. Right. Yeah. By the time you realize what it is, you're right up on it. What do you make of the inclusion of folded origami, comma, home? Mm. I dream of spaces, emptiness, deserts, golden, endless dome, dome of blue with white clouds scudding, folded origami, home. I dream of spaces, emptiness, deserts, golden, endless dome, dome of blue with white clouds scudding, folded origami, home. Yeah, I mean, is that more, more just creation? You are creating a complex thing? could be simple ingredients, i.e. a single sheet of paper, but the production of it is no simple feat. I like that. I like that very much. I also think you could take the inverse of it and say, oh, here is a thing that looks like a singular, concrete, stable unity. Mm -hmm. And then as you start looking at it, each part of it is made up of so many layers yeah. That can't even be understood individually. They have to be understood as part of the whole. I think, I mean, I think we're saying the same thing from different directions. Yeah. You begin to see that nuance. And actually that kind of works really well going back to the sound of all these instruments coming together and creating this chaotic piece of pieces colliding and interconnecting, but you can't have this sound 
of this song without this instrument. You can't make that swan out of the origami without making three folds this way very specifically. Everything is, is intertwined. I think that's a great way to interpret that. I like that. Do you get the sense, the fact that Ian repeats home, so folded origami home is the last stanza of, is the last line of that stanza. The next line begins with home to all creation. I'm going to spitball a feeling. These are the modern day too. Just Correct. remember these are, yeah. So spit me. Let me s- so sorry. Do you get a sense that Ian is saying our own home where we literally live is that complex, Is has its roots in such an ancient, unfathomable, vague, and yet constructed origin hmm. that everything that you see and everything that you touch and everything that we interact with, you can trace back to some kind of primordial origin that is only understandable in mythic language. Yeah. I mean, that feels right whether he intended it or not. It really does feel right. Regardless of the story of what happened, we ended up here, home to all creation, vistas of foreign lands. We conjure ghosts of pre-birth state, primal recall. We're thinking of our ancestors. We're thinking of these mythic tales. We're thinking of all of the people that led up to who we are and where we are and the people with whom we interact. It's all kind of butterfly theory a little bit, you know, that uh, everything had to happen the right way to get us into this, this beautiful environment. And that's something that we ought to appreciate, maybe. And some of the original chaos still exists in this world. Sure. And that, in a way, that makes it, that still makes it beautiful. Something you said about the primal recall, it just touched off this thought in me, which is sometimes with dreams, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I know you've, you've said at various points that you don't really remember your dreams. Yeah. But sometimes I'll have a dream and I'll think, where in the hell did that come from? Mm, yeah. How could I even come up with that? Mm-hmm. Like, where did my brain grasp onto such bizarre imagery? And I wonder if there's this sense that we have within us this ancient background, this ancient, we still have the venom. Hmm. We are still beings, essentially, that are still- Connected? Elemental. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, connected connected directly through a line of lineage, of lineage all the way to Ymir, who is the first end elemental flesh. Yeah. And so we carry that kind of genetic memory in us of Ganunga Gap. That's what I was, I was gonna go for genetic memory, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really, really cool. I like that, that we are, we are part of it and it is part of us. We are that Midgard serpent chasing its tail. We are all sorts of aspects of things. We are star stuff. We're... <laughs> that's, that's... Um, isn't it stardust? We, we are made of... No, isn't it star stuff? I thought it was star no. stuff. It's Stardust. God, what's his name? He went. To, he was Cornell, big guy in Cornell. Uh, DeGrassi Tyson, Neil DeGrassi. No, Tyson. no, no, no. He's that's no. It's the other one. It's um billions and billions. Bill Nye. Nope. 
he he was uh, Bill Nye. He taught Bill Nye, I think, or or they were at Cornell at the same time. I know who you're thinking <sighs> Carl Sagan. Thank you. His widow still calls up Cornell for IT help sometimes, and she refuses to stop using Apple Mail. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, she must be the only person in the world. Oh no, we get some staunch users of Apple Mail. Of Apple Mail? It always borks Outlook. That's the problem. Is we use Outlook as our main server, and it Mac and Microsoft do not play well together. My least favorite thing. I love my Mac. I will never probably have a non-Mac computer because I'm just I'm a slut for paying that much for a laptop. Yeah, right. But I hate when you click on an email address to try to copy and paste it into your into a, an email server that works and the mac is like automatically like Burp, i'm booting up apple mail you want to send this through apple mail and i'm like have i ever have i ever <laughs> once done that learn from me <laughs> in my 20 years of having mac products not once not one time have i ever used that that service so don't yeah. do that thank you yeah you can set your default email program I know you can do it in Windows. Don't know if you can do it in Mac because Mac doesn't allow you to customize shit. They force you into using certain things. To quote Carl Sagan, the, oh, pop up, damn it. To quote Carl Sagan. <laughs> That's too, no, no, you, you made your point. I have, I have to leave that in. No, the cosmos is within us. We are made of star stuff. We are a way for the universe to know itself. He must have not been able to get the rights to the phrase stardust. Ziggy stardust, yeah, probably. Star stuff sounds like a like a discount shop. Come down to star stuff. Uh, we got stuff and we got stars. These stars, they fell off the back of a truck. They are discount. They might be dented. No returns. <laughs> hey, it's but it's stuff. But it's a star and it's stuff. It's stuff. Stuff your stars. Anything else to say about Ganunga Gap, Nick? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's very evocative. I do love those first three stances for how for the image that they paint it's cool it's this this story is very cool like the Ganunga Gap origin story is very cool and he builds into it and he, he describes it in a very poetic way that Ian Anderson's so darn good at doing I want to point out one thing about this album thus far and that is not a criticism of it at all but it is an observation of a difference in approach of approach from all tall leading f to this point? Or are we talking just a, a, a zealot gene rock flute, rock flute comparison? I think there has been a little bit of a progression with zealot gene and this album, but this album stands out to me as a little bit different than any tall album thus far. Yeah, definitely. That is that this album, the writing is so purely descriptive of the topic. Yeah, right. Rather than saying, here's the topic and here are all the things it makes me think of in our modern quotidian existence. And I had a cup of tea and the spoon fell down and that's what reminded me of Ganunga Gap, you know? Yeah, right, right, right. It's just Ganunga Gap, the poetry of this thing. It almost feels like a different approach. Mm -hmm. And I'm here for it. I love it. It's very interesting. Especially now that you've revealed the key of how specifically he's approached the poetry and the meter of this mm -hmm. and maybe Maybe he gave himself that constraint. Obviously, he gave that, himself that constraint on purpose, but I, it has, for me, changed something which I really associate with Tull, which is, you know, here's the topic. Here's my experience of the topic. Here's your experience of the topic. 
here's something I saw on the side of the road. And that relates back to the topic. Right. And decipher it yourself. Yeah, figure it out. And however you decipher it is, is okay by me. Right. This is kind of, it feels more studious. It feels more urethral. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I tried to make that. I tried to make that make sense, but I can't. It feels a little bit more removed from the day-to-day -day life, I guess. Yeah. I think that Zealot Gene was a bit of a stepping stone here. There was It was definitely still flowery and poetic and, and removed, but I do think it was something of a stepping stone, particularly in comparison to the last album, if you count the Christmas album as that, or even so, going before that with Jay Tull. It's the way Tull's been doing it all along. It's interesting to see the progression, and uh, yeah, it's fascinating. Nick, what is the song about which we are talking Tull next week? Next week, uh, we are talking All Father. Every Daddy. Every <laughs> dot com. Pater omnis. Uh, yes, all father. We uh, that is qu quite the little jaunt. Very, very exciting to talk about. That's our, our reference to Odin again. Until next week, you can cover your first and elemental flesh with a <laughs> Talk Tall to Me t-shirt in a number of designs. You can also have the Feckless logo on there, the Newt and the Feckless, and uh, there are all sorts of options here. I think there's pillows and there's phone cases and there's stickers and there's mugs. You can get pretty much anything that would fit into the Ganunga Gap you can get. If you are looking for your folded origami home, why don't you join us on our Discord chat, available to every Patreon member from the $5 level up. A space in which reality folds in on itself, multi-layered, where we have certain channels for cats, certain channels for talking tall, certain channels to talk about food, and every layer is inseparable from the others. It is all intertwined. I would beseech you to use your wordless voice in a scream and a howl to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if it's available on Spotify, go ahead and do it. I Frankly, I think it's a, it's a bit of a cryptid that Spotify does or does not allow it. I don't know. Give us a rating and review, though, please. Please and thank you. Five stars. And if you are sick of the void and darkness, why don't you brighten up your life with access to this video that we have been recording this entire time where you can see our non-primordial faces for only $15 a month. Until next week, I have white clouds scudding. I'm Nick McGill. <laughs> My dome is endless. I'm Omen Thomas Said. We are giants and gods to glorify. This is Talk Tell to Me. And we are the conjured ghosts, the feckless momes. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Everybody, gather round. Gather round, please. We are in a very special marked area. You have to stay on the path. The path is clearly marked. You have already signed your waivers. If you step off the path, we are not responsible for what happens. Harold, remember to take pictures, not like last time. There are Jotun everywhere, oh, and they will they eat you. So here we go. Following me, we are walking this way. We are walking this way. So When's this lunch? is the opening long. of the Gnunka Cap. This is the yawning maw. And I want you to just, I want to take a moment of silence here so we can hear the wordless voice, the scream, the howl. This yawning maw reminds me of my first wife. Ah! Okay, moving on, moving on. I'm glad everybody liked that. Okay, so this is an ancestral form of myth and legend. Ooh, this is wow. what we call Ymir. He's sleeping um, right um, now. Um, I have a question. Yes, Timmy from Odin Elementary. Yeah. Is there a McDonald's here? Is there a bathroom? Bathroom, we will stop for a bathroom halfway. You can uh, deposit your waste into the void. It's uh, quite the experience. Okay. And there are snacks at the gift shop. Okay. Moving on, moving on. We are passing Ymir. And this is the separating hole where all of creation has been born from. This is over there is where men come from. And on this side is where women come from. That is where you came from. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's a, it's a land of origin right here. Um, excuse me. Uh, yes, uh, Timmy, again, Odin Elementary. Go. Uh, where did the homosexuals come from? Well, I mean, I, I suppose they're still one of the holes. I don't, I don't I know. I heard that any hole is a goal. <laughs> Timmy, I'm not, I'm not sure who told you that, but I, I do want to talk to your, your parents after, after this, Timmy. And moving on, moving on, here we go. <laughs> here, take a look. I want to uh, direct everybody's Ooh. view up into the sky. Here we go. I want to show you the pure essence that fills the new earth and sky right here. It's an ancestral form of myth and legend. Very lovely. Really hard to photograph. It's not, this isn't gonna come out well. Oh yes, it's it's not photogenic at all. Oh, yeah, God. yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. You can buy postcards in the gift shop. Oh, though. postcards. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And moving on, here we go. Now this is something that's very, very important. This was an art installation that we had commissioned by uh, by, by very talented artists. It is Ooh, origami. That's it's from origami. China. You can see that Remember here. Remember when we went there? Yeah. No. Um, anyway, and it, it, you can see if you uh, if you pull this little tab here, all of the origami cranes line up, and it spells out something. It spells out. Oh, look at that! Talk tall to me is a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. Yay! I'm so glad we didn't go to Sanibel Island this year. <laughs> 